Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dad's Rules with Kevin Belzer. Today, I'm joined by my four-legged co-host, Dexter, and he's had a little bit of a rough week. He ended up having to have his teeth clean this week. Because of that, he's on a lot of drugs at the moment. So we could get one of two different dogs today. We can get the one that is currently under the pain management phase where he's just laying there chilling, sleeping during this podcast, or we could get the one that I'm seeing at my feet right now, the one that's jacked up on the steroids he's having, basically a being a ravenous beast. So could be another interesting podcast. We'll see how this one plays out. Now, he had to have his teeth cleaned because he decided that it would be fun to go into the yard, play with the baby quails that had been birthed in our backyard. Yeah, well, there were six of them, and now we are down to three. Well, we were down to three the other day that we saw. We think that the family got wise and finally moved on. There was one that he got, and as my wife was trying to remove the quail from his mouth, he decided that instead of releasing it like the bird dog he is, that he would crunch down on it, chew it up, swallow it. Then he had this crazy taste moving forward for bird. Every time he got an opportunity to go bang on the glass to go outside, he was all for it because he wanted to get yet another one of them. So we ended up having to have him taken to the dentist, have baby bird bone, as well as feathers pulled out from in between his teeth. And during that time, I guess there is a bright side to this. They did find a mass in his mouth that they were able to remove at that time. We're waiting to see if it's cancerous or not, but he seems to be adjusting just fine. So I guess baby quail had to be sacrificed in order to find a bigger issue with our dog. So I'm going to try to look at that as a glass full instead of half full or empty scenario. Oh, looks like the Doggy downers have kicked in and he's going to proceed to nap. So let's see what kind of dreams that he has. Because obviously he's been acting on his dreams over the last prior two weeks, chasing the quail around the yard then coming back inside. And any time that we have chicken, he's like, oh, that's for me? Because he has a taste for bird again. Yeah, lovely. So speaking of dreams, today we're going to go over rule number 16 act on your dreams. It seems like this would be an obvious rule, but as we see from society and how a lot of people go through society in a very robotic way, it is not. A lot of people are not acting on their dreams. They're just going from day to day, from paycheck to paycheck, and never really being satisfied with their life, their decisions, because they're simply not acting on their dreams. So today, we're going to go over that. Oprah Winfrey once said, the biggest adventure you can take is to live the life of your dreams. I agree with her wholeheartedly. One of the most exciting things that you can do is go after your dreams. And we're going to go over the pros and cons of going after your dreams because yeah, there are bad things that can actually happen out of it, but that's okay. We'll dive into that a little bit more here in a few minutes though. Before we really get into this though, let's set some ground rules. Your dreams don't have to be at the level of Martin Luther King. I have a dream. They don't need to be that earth shattering, earth changing. He's probably the most prolific figure that ever came out of the 20th century. Your dreams don't even have to be as whimsical as ABBA, who had a song called I Have a Dream. No, they don't even need to be that level. But what they need to be is dreams that you will actually want to act on and see if it's possible for you to fulfill those dreams or not. You at least owe it to yourself to try to achieve those dreams. When I was in fifth grade, I tried out for the grade school basketball team and somehow I made it. Somehow I slipped through with all my lack of talent and made the team. Granted, I was on the bench, but I was on the team. I remember one game where my school Lincoln was playing Jefferson Elementary and I was actually called into the game. And here we went driving down the court. The ball was past me and I throw it and it's nothing but air. I swear I missed the basket by at least three feet. 
it was the last time I was ever allowed into a basketball game in grade school. Yeah, it was that cutthroat in my grade school that if you were as bad as I was, you could be on the team, but you would never actually get into a game. Now, thankfully, I knew that I was no Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. That's who was playing at the time when I was in grade school. So there was no issue of me ever thinking that, okay, this is the path that I want to chase. This is a dream I want to do. I never had to think about like a few years later when Michael made the league and we started hearing about his story and him getting caught from his high school team, what he did to prepare to make the varsity team the next year. That's what everybody always tends to gloss over is that the coach cut him. The coach cut him because he wasn't good enough. Michael, in his address to the Hall of Fame, made it sound like you screwed up by cutting me. No, Michael wasn't good enough to make the team. Michael needed to go back and figure out, is this something that you actually want to do? And if it is, are you going to put into the work? And what Michael did during that season of not making it is he was out shooting hoops 10, 11 o'clock at night. That's why he made the team the next year because it was a dream of his. Unlike me, when I was playing fifth grade basketball, not my dream, not my passion. What I love so much about the stories of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant is what they did after they made the league. Their goal was never just to get in the league. It was to perform at a high level. So in Michael's case, I remember the stories of him winning a championship, turning to his trainer and saying, I'll see you in the gym at five in the morning. I remember the stories of Kobe doing similar things. And maybe that's why they're two of the greatest basketball players of all time. Let's start there. Let's define what is your dream? What are you willing to act on? What are you wanting to act on? When I was a little kid, I had two dreams. First, I wanted to be an Olympic athlete, primarily a runner. I couldn't wait until I was in junior high and could try out for the track team. I did a little bit of everything from the 100 to the 200 to the long jump to the high jump, relay teams. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do yet, but I knew that I I wanted to go to the Olympics, something concerning track. So that's what I focused on. I went to state with the 4x100 relay team in eighth grade. That moment at state, we didn't win, but it did set off a spark inside. I was thinking inside, maybe I could make the Olympics. Catch what I said there. We didn't win, but it did spark something. It ignited something inside of me that wanted me to see if this was possibly something that I could achieve and be good at. That's what I'm talking about, acting on your dreams. Is it something that excites you? Is this something that you want to see. Can I be great at this? And even if I can't, am I going to be okay? Because I at least made the effort to see if I could. That's acting on your dreams. When I got into high school, I fell in love with the 400 meter race. I realized that that was the first distance that taught you endurance and perseverance. And it was not only a distance based on physical ability, but mental as well. I was okay in the 100 and above average in the 200 meter, but the 400 meter was the one that I felt with training and discipline where I could become great. What I remember most is the practice and the preparation needed to compete. It wasn't fun. Usually practice is not fun. The competing part, the seeing how you measure up to other people, that's where it's fun. That's the competition coming out of you. I would say I viewed it as boring when I was growing up and going through it. The biggest competition you have when you practice is in your own thoughts that creep into your brain. In my early days, I didn't totally get the point of our workouts. With any sport, no results are instant. It's sometimes hard to even see 
results until you look back months later and can measure them against where you once were. This practice time, this preparing your dream, this development of your end goal, this is where most people fall apart. Take, for example, that a lot of people will start the year with a New Year's resolution. Did you know that around 87% of people fail at their New Year's resolution by February? So a month into the year, they've already quit. They didn't properly set expectations of what would be involved in achieving that goal, that dream, that vision of what they wanted in their life. Instead, they maybe set a crazy goal of, hey, I want to have a six-pack of abs, get their 150 pounds overweight. Maybe it'd be better to go, okay, this first week, I want to lose five pounds. Start there and then let's measure in a week. Okay, now I want to lose another five pounds. Or you're writing a book. Instead of going, I'm going to write a 600-page Stephen King level novel. Now, that is pretty daunting. As somebody that has written books, I can tell you that that, that is just crazy. Even writing a 130 to 180 page book, which is where mine tend to range, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Instead, I break it down into, okay, today I'm going to develop an outline. I'm going to decide what topics I'm going to cover in this book. And then the next day is going to be, okay, I'm going to outline this chapter. How do I want this to flow? And I'm going to take it piece by piece rather than going, today I'm going to write a book. By the end of the day, I will have a book complete. It's just not realistic. So when you look at practice and competition, you have to go, okay, what is my goal out of this? My goal is to get like in running is it was, okay, today I'm going to run 10 miles. I didn't even think about the next day. I set the, the goal for that day. That was it. Today I'm going to run 10 miles or I maybe planned out the week. Here's how the week's going to play out. Here's the rest day because of the meat or a lighter day because there's a meat and worked it that way. I didn't go, okay, uh, I ran a 55 second 400. So by the end of the week, I want to run a 51. That's just not realistic. So you have to set proper expectations of what you want to get to and how you want to tackle it in a realistic way. Outside of school practice time, I would lace up the running shoes and hit the gravel road just outside my parents' driveway. I remember the Sony Walkman blasting away as I turned right out of the yard and headed down the dusty, hilly gravel road. It was usually Rat's album out of the cellar that I was listening to for motivation. On a side note, I always find it fascinating what music motivates or drives each of us. Like for me, it's always been more of the metal, the harder rock realm of music. I mean, I like all kinds of music, but that's always been my motivation piece. And when I was running back then, no different. I remember it was Rat's album out of the cellar. It was Queensryche album, Rage for Order. It was Kiss. Let's see, it was the Asylum album. That was the one I normally ran to from them. During these runs, I would picture the day that I stood at the top of the podium. Lean forward, Kevin. Let them slip the Olympic gold medal around your neck. Now raise your head high. Place your right hand over a heart that has yearned for this moment as a star-spangled banner plays through the stadium PA system. This vision allowed me to push through the pain. It got me through the boredom and the small injuries that hit every runner. It got me to analyze what I ate, who I trusted with my future Olympic dreams, and I psychoanalyzed everything. The focus on the prep and the race will already be decided. I would be victorious. That was a goal. That was a dream. Now, my second dream was to become a published author. Initially, my writing was all over the place. It was anything from bad poetry to pointless short stories and novellas all covered in this awful Stephen King writing style that seemed to fade out rather than conclude. Since my early writing was done in between my reading of Stephen King, Hardy Boys, and the Three Investigator series, it was no surprise that my writing tried to mimic them. My writing was poor at best. It needed a lot of work, but at least I was writing. I was pursuing a passion. I was acting on a dream that I'd had since I was a little 
little kid to write. I knew it wasn't any good. No matter what my mom, bless her heart, said about it, it was some of the most horrible drivel to roll across a keyboard as it wasted trees and inkwells. They could have been put to much better use like coupons, jazzercise class promos, or lost dog slash cat flyers stapled to telephone poles. I ended up burning the first story I ever wrote. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I really did that. My mom said it was good. I knew it wasn't and needed to move on from it. So I burned it up. I don't recall the exact details of it, but I remember it as a poorly constructed mystery surrounding a group of kids that solved crime that the grown-ups ignored. I was maybe 13 or 14 when I wrote it. And honestly, it was a total ripoff of the three investigators. So it's probably best to be burned anyway, because who wants a perjury charge against them? Not me, especially not at 13 or 14 years old. Now, that is the only thing I wrote that I purposely destroyed. Now I box the bat away. It taunts me from a yellow and black plastic tote tucked on a shelf in the garage. Now, shortly after that, I wrote a dystopian society series where all the heroes and villains were people from school. These stories were poor in quality, not even remotely realistic in any manner, but somehow entertaining. My friends seemed to get a kick out of their characters. We were all survivors of a nuclear holocaust and lived in the fallout shelter of one of our parents. I still have them in a box Somewhere. My inspiration for writing them was that a friend was moving away and I wanted to pay tribute to him before he left. Different kids I went to school with were portrayed in other cults or gangs that survived the Holocaust. And the funny thing is that, you know, like we would kill people off in the stories, then bring them back in, in weird ways. I would say that it's just a feeling of mine that the parents now would have problems with what I wrote, but it was all in good fun and jest back then. Like I killed off my best friends in the story and then brought them back as like robots. So they thought it was cool that they were now robots. Who wouldn't think that that would be cool? You know, it's I've seen Terminator and Skynet and all that. So yeah, bring it on. When I finally did move on from that series, I had four completed and a fifth story that is still unfinished. It will remain that way. They were fun to write, but not very good. I was 15, almost 16 when I wrote them all. I remember writing the second book in a weekend. So that should give you some kind of idea of the Pulp Fiction quality they contained because my friend that was moving, his date was changed. And I'm like, oh, cool. I can get another book done real quick for him to read before and I literally wrote the whole book in 48 hours. It's insane. Now, through all this, I was still learning my craft. I was searching for my voice. I was trying to find a direction in my writing that I could believe in and enjoy. But here's the thing. I was still acting on my dreams. I was putting action behind it. I wasn't just thinking about writing. I was doing it. I knew as a teenager, it was not going to be good, but I knew I could learn through the craft how to get better, how the, through all this writing that I was doing, how I could be fine tuning and finding my own voice. Because like these, the early stories, the one that was a complete ripoff of the three investigators, that wasn't my voice. The early novellas around the Stephen King style, that was not my voice, but I needed to get it out there to really realize that, hey, this isn't the direction I want to go in. This isn't going to be me. Okay, so that's the point I want to make a get across right here. Now, around this time, I wrote another book that can best be described as a coming-of-age story. It followed a group of friends who formed a band and compete in a talent show. The story outside of that was the real meat of the plot. The different struggles and quirks of the characters were a cool exercise in developing personality and depth. People felt more like, well, people. I look back at previous stories and could see I was changing. The story had still had its thin parts, but I was progressing as a writer. Some of it was actually quite good. Now, all this time, I was still tinkering with short stories on the side as well as some poetry. I'll be honest, the closest thing I read to poetry now are the lyrics of songs. All this sits in a plastic tote almost 30 years later. Everything I've written prior, the unpublished stuff, it all just sits there. The notebooks were transferred from box to box as it got beat up from all the moves until, well, I got smart and went to a plastic bin that could be thrown on a shelf in the garage. Stephen King and Peter Straub co-wrote a book 
together around my sophomore into junior year. The co-author idea sounded pretty cool and actually fascinated me. So I approached one of my friends and we each would write a chapter. And the concept we did is that I would write a chapter, he'd write a chapter. We go back and forth. Now, the fun part of this exercise was not knowing at all where the other was taking the story. You wrote your chapter, handed it off to the other to continue however they wanted from where the other left off. It was an interesting experiment in writing. That story was the first one that I ever sent in to try and get published and we got a rejection letter and didn't try again on that book with anyone else. There's obviously a learning lesson in that. Probably should have studied up on like Dr. Seuss and some of the others that sent it countless times to a myriad of publishing houses before they finally had one that said yes. So towards the end of my junior year, the writing took a more serious turn. I wrote a book that was very personal. It was pretty dark because that's where I was at the time. It, you can blame it on teenage angst. You can blame it on whatever you want. In the rewrites, I changed it up a little bit, but the original was very, very emotionally raw. And since it was written completely, by hand and not, not typed, that is also in the black and yellow tote under its original title, Gotta Let Go. I later changed the title to The Life Worth Dying For. Yeah, I was all about these epic titles back then. I mean, I guess I kind of still am. I mean, I've got dad's rules for being a kick-ass adult. Dad's rules, get off my lawn. Those are pretty far out there too. Now, it happened to be where my head was at at that time when I wrote The Life Worth Dying For. And not even having a pretty girlfriend was going to pull me out of the pain, real and imagined, that I felt. Although I've never tried to publish it since it was so close and intimate to me, I've always been proud of that one. Who knows? Maybe one day I will, you know, send it through another uh, polish and publish it. Okay, so let's fast forward all these years later. Time has passed and I held myself back from action. I kept myself until recently from acting on my dreams. You go, what? How's that possible? You're writing all this time. I was writing, but I wasn't going all the way through with seeing the dream come to fruition. I had boxes and boxes of books, of writings that never saw the light of day. Why is that? Until the idea for dad's rules, what held me back from acting on this dream of being a published author? Why don't we act on our dreams? Well, it's different. We're not acting on our dreams because it's different. It's uncomfortable from what we know. You are uncomfortable with it because it isn't in your normal realm. The brain's telling you it needs to be rejected. Your brain isn't playing by helpful rules either. It is filled with cheating and will stack the deck against you. It lacks knowledge. Your subconscious needs more information. Initially, it is white noise that is searching for the reason to say no to your new adventure. The only thing your brain understands is that this is outside normal activity and fits no predetermined patterns or choices you have previously made. The flight factor in your brain kicks in. You can't do this or can't do that. The logic is so cool and calculated. Since you've never done it, logic states it can't be done. You need to get away from this idea as fast as possible. Something may be different, but so what? Everything is different until it isn't. Hmm. That sounds like something Yogi Berra would have said. Choosing a different path is scary until it isn't. Again, sounds like a Yogi Berra saying. <laughs> Once you take a step towards it and actions kick in and different no longer feels so scary, it is just, well, different. Another point, this is uncharted territory. Since you've never done this, how can you possibly think that you can succeed? This logic is ridiculous at best, but many have it and never achieve their dreams because of it. So I can't ignore it. We need to explore this one a little. Uncharted territory has many variables. Not everyone will take a predictable journey down it. You could adhere to someone's systems and rules for success in any venture, but the variable will always be you. They can give you tools. You still have to chart the territory, the path of success. 
Your stubbornness and mistakes will be part of your story. Their journey can be rewarding as a destination and don't be afraid of its unpredictability. The success of achieving your goal along with the lessons you learned is worth the trials along the way. If you truly want to love to fall in love with yourself, look back at what you became along the path towards your dream. When you decide to act on your dreams, it is a challenge. Nothing comes without challenges. Dreams don't come without work. Sorry, God wants you to learn and grow. You need to grow in order to become what he knows you can be. You have free will to be the best you can be and rise every challenge thrown your way. The beautiful part of life, though, is you also have free will to be a slacker, to eat Cheetos, drink Mountain Dew and play video games in your mom's basement. But where is the challenge in that? Either way, the choice is yours but please, please choose wisely. Anyone can be a nothing. It takes zero effort. Be someone who does something to change that. Another point, do more than simply participate. The worst thing that we are doing as a society right now probably would surprise you. It is participation trophies. There is no challenge when you get a trophy for just showing up. Sound crazy? All right, let's think about it. If people could learn that life has challenges and they need to overcome and improve, would we have people more likely or less likely to look for a solution and growth? It is as an individual or a team. Participation trophies teach people that you can lose and still win. Conflict resolution in a participation trophy world comes from appeasing everyone rather than declaring a victor. Why would the runner-up go back and try to get better? There is no reason to get better in a participation trophy world. <sighs> We're all the same, and if someone wins, that isn't fair. We must silence them. Their solution is to even the playing field and manufacture trophies for all. We are not all the same. And if someone wins, that is fair. One year, my son was playing Little League and the team was awful. At the end of the season, the coach handed out trophies to all the kids. My son looks at it and he said, why did we get all trophies? We sucked. And he actually, he wasn't wrong. They they were they were bloody awful. I, they didn't win a single game. They, I don't even think they improved throughout the year, to be honest with you. It's funny though, that kids get it, that society is pandering to them. At least they initially get it. Keep handing them eighth place trophies though, and the message gets lost. We need people to stand up, accept the challenges before them and act. There is no reward when it's just handed to you. The victory is cheapened. The outcome has no meaning. What dream has ever been worth attaining that didn't come with some challenges? Next one, fear. Ah, fear. We can go into depth on this one in a future podcast, but where it concerns your dreams, well, God didn't give us fear, yet we embrace it as a society. The more you push God away, the easier it is to forget that it makes no sense to have fear about anything. You need to look no further than the Bible. Bible to see what God has to say about fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and control. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is in the Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave or forsake you. Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. One more, Isaiah 35.4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with a recompense of God. He will come and save you. All right, I'm going to give you a bonus this one. Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I always prefer the King James version of that one. It must be the old poet in me. Now, fear will creep in. It will seek to suffocate your dreams. It will paralyze them and cause you to remain in your comfort zone. It is irrelevant if your comfort zone is less than comfortable. To your subconscious brain, 
It is safe. It doesn't matter if that dream can save your future and answer all your prayers. You aren't going anywhere. Fear will hold you back from getting past just entertaining the idea. If you're lucky to fight past that, it may put thoughts in your mind that say you can't because you aren't so-and-so. You weren't born right. You were different and not in a good way. You just got lucky to get this far. You need to be happy with what you have now. You need to quit before you hurt yourself or the ones you love. You need to think of them. What will they think when you start distancing yourself because you are spending so much time on something that will never work out anyway? Fear will keep you from realizing that what your family needs is a fighter. It needs a dreamer to turn a vision into reality. You deserve to be more, have more, and achieve more than your wildest dreams. Don't let fear make it all appear to be nothing but a nightmare. If you push forward, only bad will happen. That is nonsense. Don't let it tell you that you can't. Another point, you don't have knowledge. So what? Do you have an idea? Great. We live in a world that you can have the idea and in a few clicks, find someone with knowledge to help you take the next step. Someone that has the missing pieces of the puzzle that can just be a few clicks away. When I decided to get in real estate, I didn't have a clue what I, what that meant, what it looked like. I knew I needed to change a career. The company I did research on said they would teach me. When some of the teaching fell short of what I needed, I looked online for others that could help me. I turned to books that could teach me. I didn't give up. Every dream starts at the beginning. That is God to be another Yogi Berra saying. That idea is raw. It needs to be shaped into its true self, which will take some knowledge, planning, and thought. That is great. Take that dream, the idea you have, and see if it can go anywhere before moving on. Acting on your dreams will require some work. You have the idea. Put some work into it and either develop the knowledge or find someone that has it. Pull resources if necessary. Another point, being scared. Similar to fear, but this is worth covering another way. How will others think? I am scared to disappoint them. Before going Going down yet another rabbit hole, talk to them. Tell them what you were thinking and get their thoughts. Rather than being scared of what others think, it is best to reach out. A couple things will come out of this. You will find out if they wish to hold you back or help you move forward. Some of our biggest enemies and the ones that destroy our dreams are those closest to us. Personally, I think it is best to see where they stand before I hear a voice whispering or yelling at me later that they knew I would fail. People closest to you will expose their true selves. I wish I could tell you this is easy to overcome, but it will play with your head if they aren't on your side. You have a big decision to make at that moment. Do you believe in your dream more than you value their opinion? Will you move forward in spite of their negativity towards your dreams and goals? Or are you scared to possibly go on without them in your life? No one needs the negativity, but you must decide. The pressure of what others will think plays tricks in your mind. On the flip side, people will also surprise you. Some of your biggest allies could be right around you. They have been waiting to cheer you on. Let them. Acting on your dreams will require work and be frustrating at times. There's nothing wrong with having encouraging voices around you. Who wouldn't like to have their own cheer team? One thing you need to understand about those closest to you and the negativity they may have towards your dreams is that they may have underlying issues of their own. Some failed and they don't want you to go through that as well. Others never gave themselves an opportunity to fail. You may have some successful people as well that you confide in that are making sure that you have all the facts and truly want you to succeed. Don't be scared to get counseled. Just make sure the advice is of sage level quality. Another one, age. Oof. The publisher of my first book recently posted a photo on Facebook. It showed him sitting with a man that was 91 years old. He was publishing his first book. The timing of that post couldn't have been more perfect as I had just started writing this chapter. You're never too old. As long as you're breathing, it is never too late to act on your dreams. That photo told me to never ever give up on my dreams. Never give up on the opportunity to be better and do more with this life. There's no reason to ever say that time passed you by. You have a gift that can touch so many. Your life has purpose. God gave you dreams, so go act on them. What if you never acted on them. All of those ideas got left in a box in the garage or the corner of your office like my awful early attempts at writing. You live your life filling it with could have, should have, wish I had, but the reality is that you will 
walk this planet upwards of 120 years. So why would anyone stop acting on their dreams at 30, 40, 50, 60, 91? What then? Do you just sit there waiting to die? That right there is expert level stupid. Keep going until the last breath leaves your body. And for you, those of you out there that are younger, please don't make that an excuse either. You're never too young to start acting on your dreams. So don't say, well, I'll do it later. I don't have experience. Look, go out there and start putting the effort in to get the experience needed to achieve your dream. Earlier is the better. Now, it's the guy was 91 that published his first book. I bet he wish he'd done it earlier. I'm still glad he did it, but I, I bet I'd, I'd place money on it that he's like, man, I wish that I'd, I'd embraced that dream and acted on it earlier. You don't want to have that reflection later on in life. Earlier, I mentioned that book that was sent into the publisher. It was called The Blue Highway. I remember that I sent it to the same publisher that published Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I figured that since his book was bizarre, that ours would be perfect for them. It was definitely bizarre. It was rejected by the publisher. The publisher was right to do that. Please don't send them hate mail 30 years later. The person that rejected it probably doesn't even work there anymore. So it would just be confusing to them now and add unnecessary mama drama. Besides, they were right to reject it and probably did me a huge favor. Acting on one's dreams will come with rejections. That is life and part of the process. That book that Scott Wheeler and I wrote wasn't that good. I had a lot to learn still. Because they rejected it, I went back and looked it over again. The biggest lesson I learned was it was okay to hear no. If the idea is flawed, it needs to be fixed or discarded. I know I'm still learning and growing as a writer, but I can guarantee that I'm a thousand times more the writer than I was back then. Something else that I learned was to stand back up and try again. Keep writing. I need to fine-tune my craft and find my voice. I need to figure out what I was passionate about that others would see as well. Act on your dreams. Expect obstacles. Anticipate the negativity from inside and outside so you're prepared to brush it aside. Push forward no matter what. Remember to keep pushing forward. When it gets tough, keep pushing forward. Don't stop. You were made to live the life of your dreams, but you must take the action. It is up to you. The world needs more humans who take their dreams and act on them. Go be one of them. Wow, that is a lot of meat within potatoes. There's a lot to go over there. We're just under 30 minutes on this one. So we're going to wrap it up. Another episode of Dad's Rules in the Can. If you want to pay me for how much you enjoyed this, simply share and subscribe. And as always, share to friends and enemies alike. If you want your enemies to get better, you're going to have to pass this on to them. I'm Kevin Belzer. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dad's Rules. Until next time, go out and be the kick-ass adult I know you all can be.